Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna, and as always, alongside me, fellow Pensburg writer, Robbie Noggle. Robbie, how have you been since last week's episode? Pretty good, Garrett. Not much to complain about. Um, just wish it wasn't so cold. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Uh, I know you're in Johnstown or around Johnstown, and I'm about uh, 30 miles south of Pittsburgh myself. It, it is freezing cold where we are. I would love to be on a, a nice warm beach, maybe 70, 75 degrees right about now. Uh, just hoping hoping for winter's end, and hopefully by the time spring rolls around, we'll still be talking hockey in a playoff sense. Uh, but as of right now, the Penguins are in the thick of winter. They are in the thick of their uh, the thick of their regular season. Uh, we have a lot to talk about on this week's episode, so uh, we'll keep the recap segment here like we typically do, nice and short. Uh, the Penguins are in the middle of a winning streak, I believe a six-game winning streak, and the games that we're going to talk about uh, have to do with a game against the Ottawa Senators. That was a 6-4 to four win game against the Columbus Blue Jackets. They win 5-2, to two, the Penguins do. The Penguins see the Winnipeg Jets. They beat the Jets in a shootout, 3-2. to two. And uh, the last game they played as we record this episode of the podcast against the Arizona Coyotes, arguably the worst team in the league, the Penguins win 6-3. to three. So, uh, Robbie, looking through some of these games, uh, we'll hit some of the bigger points here. Uh, the game against the Senators, the Senators are 11-20-2. 
Uh, the Penguins win this six to four, score three goals in the first period. Uh, the Senators actually outshoot the Penguins 43 to 34. They win 53% of their faceoffs. They out hit the Penguins 56 to 45. Uh, but Robbie, when it matters most and the chips are down, the Penguins, as of right now, are, are finding ways to score goals here and score them in bunches for the most part. So, but like I said, uh, we'll just keep the recap segment here nice and brief. So, uh, Robbie, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. What did you like from the, the Senators-Penguins game on January 20th? Uh, I think, I mean, you like the offense. And you had to like the way they played for most of that game, though. I will say they were up 5-1 and let Ottawa... Uh, creep back into it uh, to make it even a one-goal game there in the third period. So that you don't like to see a little foot off the gas, but uh, they did enough to uh, get the W in the end. And, I mean, really in all these games outside of, uh, I guess, the Winnipeg game, which we'll talk about, the Penguins are scoring goals. And they scored in this last week, they scored um, uh, five or more goals three times out of the four games. So, I mean, that, that's what you love to see. And the offense is clicking. But at the same way, uh, for the most part, outside of maybe uh, a little flash in the pan here and there, the defense and the goaltending is is playing well, um, too. So, I mean, overall, uh, not much to complain about. You just you just kind of hope that um, they would not uh, let a team back in it, let off the gas there in the third period. But, I mean, overall, Ottawa is a team that uh, you should be beating, and they did. So, um, kudos to that, and it just – was the beginning of a very good stretch for the Penguins. So you mentioned it, Robbie. Uh, goaltending and defense have been uh, also a contributing factor to the Penguins' success during this recent stretch of games. Uh, the very next night, January 21st, they would go up against the divisional rival Columbus Blue Jackets. The Penguins and Blue Jackets would be tied at two after the first period of play. And really one of the highlights, or not highlights, one of the the the, the bulletin points, one of the big pieces of news from this game, at least in my opinion, was Casey DeSmith being the starter, named the starter for this game, and uh, giving up two goals in the first period of play, making 10 saves on 12 shots, good for an 833 save percentage. But Mike Sullivan had apparently seen enough and, and decided to roll with Tristan Jari for the remaining two periods of play. Jari comes in and, and posts a perfect uh, 15 saves on 15 shots. The Penguins end up defeating the Blue Jackets here 5-2 to two on the back of a Sidney Crosby hat trick. Uh, so, Robbie, looking at this game, we talk, we've been talking about it over the last couple of weeks here on the podcast between the mailbag and, and the recap segment. Casey DeSmith continuing to falter. And Mike Sullivan is not typically one to, to give open, open messages to the media when discussing his players. I think he's a coach that does a lot of his discussion behind closed doors when it has to deal with his roster. This was one of those instances, Robbie, where it looked like Mike Sullivan was sending a message to Ron Hextall saying, I, at this at this point, I don't believe in Casey DeSmith as the backup netminder. He puts Tristan Jari in. Jari obviously played the night before against the Senators, giving DeSmith a game, a game here against the Blue Jackets. That obviously didn't happen. He was pulled after the first period of play. Jari comes in in relief, posts essentially a shutout. As I said, the, the the Penguins and Sidney Crosby register a hat trick. They beat Columbus 5-2 as they keep rolling on. Robbie, what did you make of this pretty interesting game between the divisional rival Penguins and Blue Jackets? 
I think the biggest statement out of this game was Casey Smith, as you mentioned, and giving up two goals in the first period, uh, especially when you just played the night before, isn't usually something a coach uh, even blinks at, uh, especially when you're trying to rest your starter after he's played 33 games at the season at this point. So having that short hook, I think, sends a strong statement about what Mike Sullivan thinks of the current situation. Um, again, this is a game where the Penguins came in. They'd already, they had just literally come off a long road trip. Uh, they'd played the night before. They could have literally, he could have just, it's kind of a game that it just, when you go into it, you think it's probably going to be a loss um, or a very good chance of being a loss just because of I mean, everything going on. I mean, like I said, the long, the long road trip the night before they played. And then all of a sudden, he's yanking the backup in the first period of the game after going up two goals, and your number one guy's back in there yet again. So I think it sends a strong message that, hey, listen, Casey, you either got to get it together or it's even a kind of subtle message to Ron Hextall and Brian Burke saying, hey, we need to we need to do something here. We're not going to uh, fool around. Um, Mike Sullivan wants to win. He's there to coach that team to win. Um, and I think out of that game is the biggest story is that. And of course, also the Crosby hat trick. Um, it's nice. I mean, he's really, really starting to play, uh, Sydney Crosby hockey again. Um, a little slow start coming off the injury and all that, uh, earlier in the year, but, uh, really starting to play like Sydney Crosby. But yeah, I think the big story out of this game against Columbus is uh, the, the big question mark that's still hanging over that backup goaltending position. Moving forward, the the Penguins would continue their homestand, this time against the Winnipeg Jets. And, Robbie, you kind of mentioned it there in in, in, uh, what you were saying. The Penguins really haven't been playing some of their best hockey, but when it matters, and like I said, when the chips are down, they keep finding ways to pull out victories. And that's exactly what happened here. I had, in this game, I had the, the full belief that this was just going to be a game the Penguins are just going to drop to a Western Conference opponent. The Jets get out to a 2-0 lead by the middle of the second period thanks to goals from Blake Wheeler in the first period. Kyle Connor is on fire for the Jets on the power play. He gives the Jets that 2-0 lead. So going into the second intermission, it's 2-0 Jets, and I'm, I'm thinking, well, they're really not challenging. They're really not uh, – I mean, they're giving Connor Hellebuck all he can handle. Connor Hellebuck had a fantastic game, as did Tristan Drury. I think this was a game of goaltenders here. Uh, Hellebuck finishing with a 947 save percentage and Jari finishing with a 931 save percentage. And going into the third period, uh, Kasperi Kapanen at the 655 mark of the third gets the Penguins on the board to cut into the Winnipeg lead 2-1. to one. And big Jeff Carter, who we will talk about momentarily for sure, gets his 12th goal of the campaign just seconds later at the 704 mark of the third period. That would be all of the offense the Penguins would need. The Penguins and Jets would go into overtime. It was an incredibly frantic overtime period between two very good offensively-minded teams. Uh, my my description of it here would not be able to do it justice. I suggest you go watch that crazy overtime period. These teams would need the shootout to decide things. Sidney Crosby would be the only goal scorer in the shootout between both teams, and that would be enough to give the Penguins the extra point to defeat the Jets in the shootout. Robbie, uh, like I mentioned and like you mentioned, the Penguins maybe not playing their best hockey at the moment, and 
like I said, when the chips are down, they keep finding ways to win and, and, and getting these crucial points when they matter. So what did you like and what did you dislike from the January 23rd game against the Winnipeg Jets? This was the most Sunday afternoon game you possibly could have scripted for the Penguins, uh, especially for like the first 40 minutes where it looked like they were barely awake. They were just trying to get out of there and get home. Um, Monday was a scheduled day off. They had not had a full day off in quite a while, so they knew that Monday there was no practice, nothing. Um, so it looked like they were just trying to get to uh, to Monday, and then all of a sudden within – 20 seconds in the third period it's 2-2 after looking like zombies for 43 minutes or whatever it was uh, a Casper captain and redirect on a Malkin pass and a lucky or maybe not lucky but Jeff Carter taking advantage of one of the rare mistakes that Hellebuck made on Sunday and the next thing you know he puts it in and we're tied 2-2 and then we go to overtime in a shootout where um the Penguins are, are able to get uh, the extra point thanks to Sidney Crosby and Tristan Jari. So, I mean, that's just – that's the kind of game where you look like garbage for 40-some minutes, 40-plus minutes, and you still walk away at two points. I know we've mentioned it the past couple of weeks, but it kind of gets those thoughts going in your head that maybe there's something different about this team. I don't know. Um, Jari, the – superstar in this game you can't blame the two goals on him uh, mostly because everything he did kept them in the game um, I mean without him that game's maybe 6-2 6-1 something like that something a complete blowout um, but thanks to him they get not only one point they get two points because he's perfect in the shootout again after the way he started the season in the shootout remarkable that how good he's been in the shootout the last two or three times they've been in there now and uh, Crosby does what Crosby does in the shootout just picks that spot and Hellebuck doesn't have a chance to react but it's just that's one of those games where you kind of sit back you're you're happy you got the two points you know there's a lot to work on they weren't perfect but at the end of the day it makes you think like man maybe there's something special about this team that's special feeling Robbie and like you said we've talked about it several times over the last several weeks on the podcast here and I, I got I got a little bit more of that feeling again in the next game, January 25th. They welcome the Arizona Coyotes to town. Uh, this was a very back-and-forth game, a much more back-and-forth game than I think it had any right to be from the Penguins' perspective because you and I both know, and anyone who's listening to this podcast probably already knows the Arizona Coyotes are arguably the worst team in the league. They're not going anywhere. They are intentionally rebuilding they only finished they finished this game which they lost 6 to 3 with only 16 shots on goal uh, to the penguins 36 there were no goals in the first period of play i thought the penguins came out very kind of sluggish not really interested in playing the worst team in the nhl and before you know it nick schmaltz gets the coyotes on the board one nothing brian rust answers back on the power play just a few moments later to tie it up 1-1 but then clayton keller would give the Coyotes the lead again on the power play at the 16-22 mark of the second, thinking that you're going to go into the second intermission, down to the Coyotes, not really a huge uh, huge momentum boost there if you're a Penguins fan. But Chris Letang would say, whoa, 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 uh, let's calm down here. Let's go into this intermission tied at two. And that's exactly what Chris Letang would do for his team at the 18-18 mark of the second period on the power play. 
Nick Schmaltz would come out again, get his second goal of the game at the 254 mark of the third period, giving Arizona a 3-2 lead. But Brock McGinn would answer right back. He is a double-digit goal scorer for the Penguins right now, getting his 10th goal of the campaign. And uh, the Penguins tie this game up at three, and then from that point forward, it was pure domination for the Penguins as they finally wake up. Sidney Crosby gives the Penguins the lead, his 11th goal of the season. Chris Letang gets another goal in this game at the 11:36 mark to make it three to f- five to three Pittsburgh. And Brian Boyle scores what very well could be Robbie, the goal of the year between the legs to finish off the Coyotes. Pittsburgh wins six to three. That third period, Robbie, the, the, the Coyotes did not stand a chance. It was, Almost Globetrotter-esque hockey for the Penguins as they finally wake up and get the two points here and handle the business that they have to take care of against the Coyotes. So I'll hand it over to you as we re- as we conclude the recap segment here. What did you like from the January 25th game against these Desert Dogs? I know the Coyotes are obviously really bad. We know that, and it's no secret. I mean, just look at the standings, um, and you could see that in that night that they weren't a uh, great team, but you got to give them credit for fighting and sticking with it. But that just shows you that more often than not, just talent, a talent gap like that, uh, the team with that talent is going to just take over at some point. That's what the Penguins did. Uh, they didn't really control the game until midway through the third period. Uh, but one, I mean, they made it 3-3, and then the floodgates just were open at that point. There's nothing Arizona could do to stop it. Um, it's just the Penguins just have too much talent. They're too deep. I mean, when you got when you have players like Brian Boyle scoring goals between the legs, I mean, everything's clicking right now, and that just shows you how good the Pens are. That just shows you how deep they are too. I mean, you you lose a guy like Teddy Bluger uh, for the next six to eight weeks, and I mean Bluger, I mean he's not a big scorer, but he he has a very defined role on this team, and being able to just plug in a guy like Brian Boyle, who is never the was never the fastest guy, but I mean he was he's been in the league for how many years now? So at least, I mean, he has some, he's, he's doing something right. You know that. And to have a guy like that, just being able to plug in, who's such a leader and just such a team player, and it just does whatever he's asked to do, it's just, I mean, that's just so, uh, that's just so reassuring for the Penguins. And that's the kind of game where when you have that kind of talent and that kind of depth, it's more often than not, I mean, you'll get clipped every once in a while, but when the Penguins are playing like they are, no matter how hard the Coyotes fought, it was just they could never get that second goal once they went, when they took the lead, and the Penguins just always battled back. And then eventually they just overwhelmed the Coyotes, and uh, that's the kind of results you get in games like that. And that's just uh, really a testament to what the Penguins are doing right now, what Mike Sullivan is doing, and to how the, the, no matter when the chips are down, another guy goes out of the lineup for – for this, you lose Jason Zucker again to surgery. Uh, just you, they put somebody else in there and they produce, and that's just uh, when things are clicking. That's the kind of things that happen, and it just shows you how good the Penguins are. And um, it really just—I mean—that's six wins in a row again. I mean, it felt like they—they've—I think I counted—they've lost two games since December first, I believe. Uh, I believe December first was uh, the last. Before, I mean, they had that 10-game win streak, and then they had uh, that whole, I mean, the downtime with COVID and stuff like that. They lost to the um, Oilers on December 1st, 
And then they've lost twice since then um, to Dallas and L.A. So they've lost twice in, in regulation since December 1st. Um, so since, I mean, you're now, you're almost two months with almost two full months and only three losses. And that game against Arizona is really just a microcosm of how the Penguins have been playing during the stretch. It's getting now where it's one of the best stretches of Penguins hockey we may have ever seen, um, at least in this era. And right now, if you watch this team, you couldn't convince anybody that Crosby, Malkin, and Latang are all mid-30s the way they're playing. Uh, they're playing out of their minds. The whole team is, and that's a credit to everybody on the ice and off. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Robbie. Uh, seventeen, I believe, seventeen victories out of their last nineteen games is the statistic I saw floating around on Twitter, which is incredible for any team in any era under any circumstance. And the Penguins are able to do it, even with, as you mentioned, a revolving door of injury after injury you brought up jason zucker's name and that's exactly where we're, where we're going to go to next the the penguins have this have this great system of depth available to them this season for the first time in what feels like forever uh it's clicking even when they're not playing great in all facets of the game they're getting two points when they need to and what more can you say other than it, it's making you feel a, a good type of way as we as we inch closer and closer to April and the end of the regular season. The Eastern Conference specifically is is really starting to take shape. It's 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 a it's a select few very good teams and the Penguins are included in that select few. It's it's really the Rangers, the 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 Hurricanes, the Panthers, the Penguins, uh, the the Lightning are probably up there too and maybe a couple of other teams I'm missing, and then everyone else in the Eastern Conference essentially stinks. They're not going anywhere. They're not doing anything. So No, I mean, really, if you look at it, and I don't know, uh, this season's the first season that um, a website's called 538. It's run through ABC. It does a lot of sports and politics and stuff like that. You might be familiar. Everybody yes. might be familiar with it. This is the first year they did their um, their predictions for the, for the NHL. They put their um, system out and – um, I was kind of like joking around, like just looking in the Penguins right now, as of January 27th, uh, this being recorded about a half hour before they play Seattle um, game 43 of the season, the Penguins sit at 99% chance uh, to make the playoffs. And I thought them like, that's pretty, pretty, pretty high. Well here, I mean, the, the East playoffs are almost decided. Your eight yeah. teams are pretty much locked in at this point. Yep. Uh, for the most part, there's not going to be much drama. You're going to have some seating drama, but, as for your eight teams, I mean, you're – I need to add the wild card there. I mean, you're at – Boston is your second wild card. They have 40 games played, 51 points. The next – the team below them, Detroit, 43 games played, 42 points. So Boston is nine points clear of the playoff bubble with three games in hand over the ninth-place team. So, I mean – and that the Penguins are at – 42 games played with 59 points. So the Penguins are almost, they are almost 20 points clear. Uh, they're 17 points clear with a game in hand over the ninth, the ninth place team. The playoff, like it always feels like it's always antsy, especially the last couple of years. Like, I mean, the Penguins would have to go on a historic losing streak. Yes. So, I mean, 
that drama's out of there. So if you want playoff drama, you're going to have to watch the Western Conference. Outside of, there's going to be plenty of seeding drama, I think. Um, you're going to probably want to avoid one of the Florida teams in the first round. But right now, the Penguins, I, they're kind of even putting some space between them and the Capitals now, too. Uh, the Capitals are at 44 games played, four points less than the Penguins. So the Penguins have a four-point edge with two games in hand. They're knocking on the door of the Metro or the Metro lead. And, I mean, this is – a like I said, you don't realize how good they're playing until you really look at the last two months as a whole. This is a good, good hockey team. That's a good point, Robbie. Take, it, take a, an external view. And it's hard because – there have been so many postponements and starts and stops and uh, the, uh, the penguins and the rest of the league have been dealt a, a cruddy hand thanks to COVID and everything like that. Take a step back 70 and remember 17 wins out of their last 19 games played there. Uh, I can't say any more than what Robbie's already said. They're, they're really, they're, they're essentially battling for seeding at this point. There is really no drama. Like you said, they'd have to go on an incredible losing streak and I don't think with the roster they have right now I don't think that's possible Tristan Jari is playing at a deservedly high all-star level Crosby is finding his groove Malkin is still working his way back from his injury but he's starting to look like the Evgeny Malkin of old Chris Letang uh, we never really bring up Chris Letang because he plays 30 minutes a night and he's what 35 years old Uh, he keeps doing his thing I mean I'm sure we'll be talking about a couple of those players uh, maybe even later on in the mailbag re- in regards to their contract situations. But from a pure hockey hockey perspective, looking at the Eastern Conference and the Metropolitan Division, what the Penguins are doing right now is uh, is pretty astounding. And we know the Penguins have been a dominant regular season team for the last uh, 10 to 15 years, really since Crosby and Malkin arrived. They, they've won numerous regular season accolades, and it's not about the regular season with this team. But it's about it's about postseason results. So again, we'll wait and see how how the rest of the season plays out and, and how uh, how they fare once we get the playoff seating all figured out. But this is an incredible run that this team has been on. And I, I say every time I get a chance, don't take this for granted. Don't take the Crosby Malkin era for granted. Don't take the hockey you're watching right now on January twenty seventh, two thousand twenty two. Don't take it for granted because. Even today, Robbie, as we record this, uh, Ron Hextall came out and he was asked questions about the contract status of of Chris Letang and Evgeny Malkin, two pillars of this team that are uh, unrestricted free agents at the end of the season. And he's not going to show his hand, Hextall is. He's not going to show his hand. And he he said, we've had negotiations, we've had some discussions with both, both of the players, but with Latang being 35 and Malkin being 36, I believe, or around there, uh, it's it's clear, and the Jeff Carter extension, which we'll get into momentarily, it's clear that I don't think Hextall has any intention of blowing this thing up for the next two to three seasons. I think he sees a window. We, we always talk about that, that dreaded window closing, that championship window. The Jeff Carter extension even if I'm not a huge fan of it, financially speaking, from a salary cap perspective, the Carter extension says to me, Hextall and Burke are putting all of their eggs in that basket to go another maybe two to three seasons. After that, all bets are off. We'll reevaluate in two to three seasons when Evgeny Malkin is 38, 39, Sidney Crosby is 38. 
We'll reevaluate then, but for the for the next two to three, maybe four seasons, they're ready to fight for at least another championship. And you can't ask for anything more if you're a Penguins fan. We know that you're you're, you're coming to the end of this this era of Penguins hockey. It's not completely done and dusted with yet, but uh, these aren't the same players, obviously, that they were ten years ago. To have three or four more dedicated seasons of trying to win a championship. You can't ask for anything more. Go down with the ship. Go down with Crosby and Malkin for as long as they're playing, uh, as long as they're playing elite level hockey. Uh, and so, Robbie, uh, I wrote, I had this whole outline uh, made up to talk about the the Jason Zucker injury and the Jeff Carter extension. That's the the, the two biggest pieces of news this week. Uh, well, let's briefly touch on the the Zucker injury before we move into the Jeff Carter news. Uh, Zucker is considered week-to-week from Mike Sullivan as he's recovering from core muscle surgery. Uh, I wrote here in the outline that, uh, for reference, Sidney Crosby underwent a similar procedure in mid-November 2019, and he was out of game action for nearly two months until his return uh, in January of 2020. There's no saying that the timeline is similar. We don't know how severe or what the timeline is for Zucker, The winger could potentially return before the end of the regular season. But for now, uh, Robbie, we look at the role that this Penguins team has been on. Who deservedly gets that shot to slot alongside of getting Malkin on that left wing? I think right now the last last lineup I looked at had Danton Heinen in that left wing slot. Uh, Evan Rodriguez is obviously a candidate to slot alongside Malkin. Jeff Carter has recently spent some time out on the wing. So... With Zucker's injury, uh, it's certainly been an up-and-down season for him. To finally have this procedure taken care of, he's out of action for the foreseeable future. Robbie, if you're Mike Sullivan, who do you put in that top six to to give the Penguins uh, as much of a scoring edge as possible? Well, I mean, I think, obviously, Captain is going to stay there. He's, I mean, he's... I just think that they're going to keep him with Malkin as much as possible, just because that seems who he be, seems to be who he works the best with. Uh, after that, I think I, I, Carter, I really like as a third center. I really do, uh, especially with Luger out. I really like having that Crosby, Malkin, Carter, and then I guess Boyle down the middle. So uh, I'd have to say probably Rodriguez is probably your best bet for the uh, the hole to fill for now. Uh, and if maybe Erod gets in a little bit of a rut, you just kind of rotate him out. You try different things. Sullivan is proven that he is more than willing to shake things up if he feels that something's not working. So, yeah, I think you can see a bunch of different guys in that role. Uh, Erod, I think, is your first obvious choice just because of the season he's having. Uh, and then, yeah, Heinen, obviously, it's been maybe get him with Malkin to wake up that stick a little bit. It feels like it's been a little while since he uh, found the score sheet. So I just think that, that until, until Zucker is back and healthy, um, I think that that is a – Rotating spot, unless like I mean, unless Rodriguez would take take it and run with it. I think that Rodriguez is probably your best bet. But if something doesn't work, I don't see Mike Sullivan at all being shy about trying somebody else there uh, to see if they can just get something to click for a little more than just a game or two. And uh, we'll continue to monitor Jason Zucker's uh, rehabilitation status moving forward over at Pensburg.com. Robbie, the other piece of news that I mentioned at the top of the show and just a few moments ago, Jeff Carter signing a two-year extension with the Penguins, an average annual value of $3.125 million. The contract runs through the 2023-2024 season. 
Uh, plain and simple, Robbie, do you like the extension for the 37-year-old forward? Do you think it's too much money considering the Penguins are going to be facing some challenges up against the salary cap in the offseason? Do you believe this is just the right kind of contract for a player like Jeff Carter? And uh, quite simply, quite frankly, how do you think this contract impacts the Penguins' ability to re-sign Evgeny Malkin, Chris Letang, and or Brian Rust? So for my response to this, I'm actually going to defer to uh, Josh Yoey of The Athletic for uh, most of this because, one, after the Carter signing was announced, I think he had maybe the best tweet to put everything in perspective, saying signing a 31-year-old center to a two-year deal is a pretty good indication that the Penguins are keeping the band together. Uh, No rebuild coming for a while. So, I mean, for a while, two years, I mean, when the Penguins are at the stage they're at with the age of some of these guys, a while can count as two years. So, I mean, it's obviously, one, a signal that the Penguins are in no way selling or rebuilding any time in the near future. I think that is very obvious because, one, Jeff Carter, at his age, he wants to win another cup. He's not going to sign on for multiple years for a rebuild, uh, not this stage of his career. Uh, two, it should send, and Josh Yoey points this out in his article for The Athletic, that... This is a very strong, strong sign that Evgeny Malkin is going to be coming back to Pittsburgh. Uh, because, again, Hextall and Carter have a good rapport uh, with each other. So there's always talk, backroom talk, that you never hear, that never comes out, that he probably got assurances that they're going to take, probably bring Malkin back at the very least. And uh, their plan is to take runs at Cups, not mini rebuild, full rebuild, whatever, because a 37-year-old isn't going to keep playing uh, for a team that's that's uh, just middling, or at least attempting to middle, not taking a shot at a cup. And he pretty much said that Malkin, from what he's heard, is they've had contact, uh, the front office and Malkin's agents. He's willing to take less than what Crosby's making now, which is $8.7 million, which would be less than what Malkin is currently making at $9.5 million. On, on his current deal that is about to expire. Um, Malkin wants to remain in Pittsburgh. He has no desire to go anywhere else. Um, so from what I hear, I think the Carter is signing is just another indication that Evgeny Malkin is returning to Pittsburgh. And I think that is not that it was ever in doubt that he was leaving Pittsburgh, but it's more of an assurance now that 71 is going to finish his career in Pittsburgh. Um, as for what Carter's being paid, Josh called it a very team-friendly deal. So I'm not going to dispute that um, he is uh, making too much money or anything like that. I think overall, um, Carter knew he wasn't to stay in Pittsburgh. He probably wasn't going to be able to break the bank. And I think that's fine. He's making um, – he'll be making – well, there's some retain with the King. So uh, the Penguins will be on the hook for $1.3.125 million, uh, up a little bit from the 2.6 they're paying him. Uh, this year so it's a little bit of a pay grade at least from the penguins perspective but um hey that a guy like carter just brings so much to this team and i think that we have we've seen that since he came over last year what he provides to them he can move up and down the lineup we just mentioned him playing alongside malkin he can play the wing or center and he just he provides so much and i think that he's one of the guys that truly fell in love with Pittsburgh once he got here Uh, we're always when he first made the trade uh, last year, we were all like the same Jeff Carter that was a pain in the rear all those years in Philadelphia. Well, yeah, but hey, 
that's just funny how things work out. And I think that um, he loves Pittsburgh and he knows that uh, the Penguins are here to compete. And Ron Hextall told him that. Uh, as for Chris Letang, uh, in his article, Yoey kind of goes into saying that everything with Letang is still up in the air, especially with the way Letang's playing this year. Um, Letang believes he can get top dollar in the free agent market. So if he decides to, to, to test that market, he could easily get top, top dollar, even at his age, because of the way he's playing this year. So the, the Latang situation, uh, still remains up in the air with or without the Carter signing. It sounds like, um, but overall, uh, I think Josh still believes that 58 will be in Pittsburgh. Um, now as for other guys, they, he, did say that a guy like Rust um, or a guy like Rodriguez, stuff like that, they could price themselves out of Pittsburgh. And uh, I don't think you can necessarily blame the Penguins for that because, I mean, if Rust goes out and gets mega bucks on the free agent market, the Penguins are still going to be smart about it. And uh, credit to them for that. They're not going to overpay uh, for a guy, uh, I don't think, uh, like Rust or Rodriguez. So, um and, but I also don't think the Carter extension is going to have too, too much of an impact um, on what the Penguins do, because I believe that 71 and 58 were already in the plans, and then they'll work with what they can with Rodriguez and um, uh, Rust and Heinen and guys like that. So I love the deal for Carter uh, because I think he provides a, a great aspect of the Penguins lineup. And I think it's a signal that, hey, this this window, it, it's closing, but it's far from closed yet. At the very least, the the Carter extension uh, and the, the, the future plans as we head towards the offseason just got a tad bit more interesting because before yesterday, the day before, before this, this contract extension was announced, uh, I, I didn't have any real indication one way or another that Carter was going to come back at 37 years old, but now with his contract, his new contract signed, and uh, he's officially in the books for the next two years. Uh, like you said, Robbie, I, I think it's a it's a sign that this party isn't over just yet, and we're we're definitely uh, the the off season just got a tad bit more interesting because, uh, as we know, the Penguins are not cap strong, but they do have some very serious. Uh, both short-term and long-term decisions to make. And uh, these are obviously decisions we'll keep monitoring as they play out over the next weeks and months. But uh, the Carter extension, overall, uh, I'm I'm satisfied with it. I, my only reservation was the fact that Carter was already 37. So by the time the contract ends, uh, I just hope he has enough gas in the tank, uh, j- just enough gas in the tank to continue being a, a quality contributor on the ice. But if he keeps playing two years from now, if he's playing even even similarly in, in a similar role like he's doing now, maybe not at the same level, but if he's doing that two years from now, roughly the same kind of production, even a little bit less than that, given his age and the aging curve, I'll be satisfied with the, with the, uh, the extension uh, myself. But uh, we'll move to the uh, mailbag segment here. If you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener and you're interested in participating in the Pennsburg Podcast mailbag, you can do so by following our Pennsburg Podcast Twitter account at Pennsburg Pod, Pennsburg P-O-D. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Every week we will send out a mailbag tweet asking for your participation in this mailbag segment. Robbie, this week we have five questions, five questions from just two people. As always, Robbie, you get first crack at the mailbag. Question number one comes from Brendan, and he asks this. I hear a lot of folks talking about the backup goalie as a deadline, a trade deadline need. If all goes well, they play a maximum of roughly 15 games. What are you willing to spend on that if you were a general manager? For me, uh, a fourth or fifth round draft pick is a maximum. But personally, I think the committee of DeSmith, Domingue, and Diorio, Alex Diorio, can manage 15 games. Robbie, what are your thoughts? I think the Penguins are going to need more than 15 games, uh, to be honest. Uh, I mean, Tristan Jarre is already at, what, 34, 35, 36 games, somewhere in there. Uh, he's good. They're going to need more than 15 games out of somebody, and I don't I, – I, I just don't trust Casey Smith right now. And I don't think – obviously, I think we saw against Columbus that Mike Sullivan doesn't trust Casey Smith right now. And unfortunately, um, Louis Domingue is on the IR – uh, for the time being, we don't know when he'll be back. And Alex Diorio, I do not believe is uh, probably in play right now. I think he is strictly an AHL guy, uh, unless like catastrophically they'd have a bunch of guys go down uh, in goal. But uh, remarkably, um, for the most part, the Penguins' goaltending after all these injuries the last few years, the goaltending has been like um, pretty much uh, pretty healthy, which is which is a good sign. Uh, but I think that I think a trade's coming for backup goalie, and uh, not to spin off uh, Josh Yoey again, but he had his uh, column up today about uh, a Q and A with questions, and one name that is being floated around for the Penguins, uh, believe it or not, is uh, Braden Holpe, uh, who is currently with the Dallas Stars as as a goalie, and uh, may be um, on the block, and could be someone the Penguins look at now. What he would cost. I don't know. I don't believe a fourth or fifth round. You, I don't believe it's going to be like a first round pick or anything like that, but um, you never know. It all depends on what the market is. Goaltending market's usually hard to judge to begin with. Uh, you remember like when the Penguins tried to trade Flurry uh, that year that it was clear they were going with Matt Murray. They couldn't get anything more than like one or two destinations because the goaltending, most teams um, that need a goaltender at least have, they're just shopping for backups and stuff like that. So uh, the, the starter market isn't huge the backup market um it looks like the penguins are gonna have to shop and holpe is an interesting case uh he struggled last year when he left washington uh but he's kind of rebounded in dallas so uh what uh the price exactly i really don't don't know but i think you're gonna need somebody that's gonna be able to play more than uh 15 games from here on out remember we're only we're barely past halfway and i don't think the penguins want uh jari playing um the 30 out of the next 40 games. Um, I think they'd love to maybe try to find a way to split this, maybe uh, 20, 2020. Remember, Jari's never played a full 82 game season uh, in the NHL. The first 
his first full season in the NHL was cut short by COVID. And then last year, which was only uh, 50 some game or 40 some games or something like that. So he's never played a full 82 game schedule. So we don't know how that he's going to hold up uh, fatigue wise. So, and he's not getting the, the benefit of the all-star break to rest up because he's going to have to go to Las Vegas to participate in, in that as well. And it's going to get busy after the all-star break with uh, the, the rescheduled games and stuff. So I think the Penguins are going to need to find a guy that can play um, a chunk of games. Now, by the time the trade comes, maybe you're only looking at 15 or so games, but um, you also want a guy with experience. And I, I kind of like the, the Holpe idea. Because um, I'm not really sure what else is out there at the moment. Uh, question number two, again, comes from Brendan. Uh, where have you watched the Penguins play? Uh, at what away arenas, he means. Uh, what was your favorite? Uh, what is on your bucket list and why? Uh, I've only been to one Pens game, and it it was in Carolina, which is basically a Penguins home game by fan percentage. Uh, I have never, I don't think I've ever been to uh, an away arena to watch a penguin game specifically uh just based on where i'm located columbus would be the easiest the easiest away arena to get to i think it would be like a two hour two and a half hour drive from from where i'm located uh columbus i, I so i'd like to see a game uh in columbus for the penguins uh on my bucket list i i'd love to see a game at madison square garden uh Penguins and Rangers, MSG. I'd like to see that, but yeah, I haven't traveled. I haven't traveled out of state or out of country even to to watch the Penguins uh, play any away games. What about yourself, Robbie? Have you have you uh, gone out of state or out of country? I've never seen the Penguins play away, but uh, in 2016, I was in Nashville uh, with family during the playoffs, and it was the Predators and the Sharks in the second round of the playoffs. Uh, so my dad and I went to a, it was game six of the Western conference, uh, semifinals. So, uh, we went and saw Nashville and San Jose play, uh, game six of that series. Uh, the Predators won in overtime. Uh, Bridgestone arena was a ton of fun. It is one of the coldest buildings you will ever be inside. Um, uh, it's a very cool experience. So if you're ever in Nashville and they're playing a hockey game, I recommend going just because it was, it was a really good time. I've never seen the Penguins play on the road. My bucket list would be the Bell Center in Montreal. Uh, I would love to go there. Uh, I'd love to see them play in Vegas just because that means I can go to Vegas. I love Vegas. Um, uh, Vegas is uh, a very cool place. And other than that, where else would I like to see them play? I would uh, maybe like the uh, Air Canada Center in Toronto. Um, I heard very good things about that. And... um, TD Garden in Boston, because, I mean, I love Boston, and then uh, either Philadelphia or Washington. Question number three comes from Linus J. Patrick Alvin has been named the new general manager of the Vancouver Canucks. He reunites with former Penguins general manager Jimmy Rutherford. He says, it's sad for me as a Swede, but that's sports. Who is the one getting promoted and or hired as his successor? What do you guess? Any internal hires or possibly someone from the outside? Not going to sugarcoat it. I really don't have any clue on that. Um, uh, yeah, how, me neither. How it'll be handled by the again? This is a, a hire that will be made by uh, Alvin was the one that took over for Jim Rutherford in an interim basis uh, when he exited last year, and yeah, it's uh, 
to be determined on my part. I don't know exactly what the what the plan is. Again, you have a new front office regime. You have new owners involved as well. So it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, I'm sure they'll probably try to bring in somebody with experience, um, someone that is maybe up and coming in the hockey world. Uh, but uh, good for Patrick Alvin to go um, get a chance um, in a good hockey market for a franchise that is starving for a good hockey team and has – I mean, some young, good pieces out in in Vancouver. So uh, best of luck to him. And as for who they replace him with, uh, I will have to hand that off to someone that is much well more well-versed on the Penguins front office or what the thinking thought process is of uh, the guys in charge there. Uh, question number four, also from Linus. Uh, if you could combine any logo and colors from Penguins history, how would your favorite Penn's uniform look? Uh, for example, navy blue winter classic jersey with Robo Penguin or the chubby skating penguin with scarf on the latest yellow third jersey. This is a really fun question. Yeah, you can get really in, uh, creative here. But you're asking the one person who is not creative at all. Oh, yeah. Kind of uh, the same with me, yeah. Yeah. I am, so I'm going back and I'm looking at the jersey history of the penguins. And I know... Uh, when they came into the league, they started out with those powder blues and they basically kept the powder blues and they changed the penguin logo on the, on the blues. Then in the eighties, uh, they switched to the black and gold color palette. Then they keep, they basically keep the black and gold. They go to Vegas gold, uh, after the robo penguin in the early two thousands, they stick with that. Combine any logo and colors in penguins Jersey history. I, everybody loves the Robo Penguin. That was before my time. I don't have a problem with the Robo Penguin. So for for a for a throwback, an alternate, a third jersey, I'd put the the, the Robo Penguin on. Put it on, yeah, maybe put it on a a, a a powder blue. You know, I really like the the old school Penguin uniforms from when they first came into the league. Now, Robbie, they're kind of like taboo, and you don't really speak of them because. They're, they've been associated with so much bad luck in recent Penguins history that they hardly even talk about the the, the blue jerseys that the Penguins have worn. And the, the black and gold has been affiliated with so much team success throughout the franchise. So uh, I'll say Robo Penguin. Yeah, put the Robo Penguin. Maybe put the Robo Penguin on like a Vegas gold, Vegas gold jersey from like the mid-2000s. Um, but boy, yeah, Linus, I'm sorry. You're asking uh, the wrong person when it comes to Jersey creativity. Robbie, do you have any, would you get, do you have any thoughts you'd like to share regarding your, your favorite, uh, Jersey creation? Yeah. Cause again, I, again, not super creative here, but I would like to see like, so in the late nineties, early two thousands, they had, it was a robo penguin Jersey, but it had that gradient. It's the one that they, um, if you go watch the highlights of like Darius Castoridis scoring that goal in overtime against Buffalo, that jersey, except with the skating penguin instead, the, the, like the penguin they have now on the crest, uh-huh. um, something like that. I mean, the Robo Penguin is so. I mean, that was like the main jersey for much of my like core, like growing up hockey. Like um, what I really remember that the diagonal that they brought back, thankfully. But like those, like the white with the Robo Penguin, and then the black with the Robo Penguin. Um, but I really like, like I'd like to see the gradient one with the skating penguin because, like, I have a a version of the gradient one. I can't fit it anymore, but 
I'd just like to see it with the skating penguin because I've always just as a maybe not as a permanent jersey, but as like a one off or something like that uh, to bring that back. Uh, and fifth and final question again from Linus. Uh, once COVID is, oh wait, you wait. This is my question. Never mind. You can read it. I, you know, we're, it's the last question. I don't. Yeah. Care. Uh, once COVID is gone, do you think the NHL is planning for games in Europe again? If so, are the Penguins still an option for those games? I'm gonna go yes to both of those. I think that's uh, pretty obvious. And um, like it or not, I think we're gonna get some kind of regular season-ish hockey game in uh, China at some point. Um, depending on, yeah, I think that's going to happen. Um, the NHL was already trying to make its footprint before COVID started, but Europe, um, I think it's a no brainer for Europe and the Peng- I remember this is, oh man, this is probably a couple years ago at this point. I believe it was Bill Daly was being asked in our press conference, uh, about who was being considered. And, um, someone asked him in the, it was very, it wasn't a guarantee, but it was a very like tongue in cheek, like, yeah, the penguins are going to be on the docket here. Uh, again, at some point. So I definitely believe that Europe is coming once this hopefully settles here in the next year that they can safely take big trips, uh, full team travel uh, across the ocean. I think Europe is absolutely going to be back on the docket. And I think you're going to see maybe not. It depends on when. I don't know. But I definitely think you'll see the Penguins before Crosby and Malkin are gone. featuring in a uh, a european uh series against uh, another nhl team yeah i'm right there with you completely agree uh i'd say within the next five to ten years if not sooner the nhl would like a a a, i don't want to say permanent but a working relationship with china like you mentioned uh, the nba has had a rocky relationship with the chinese government at at best Uh, but i definitely those plans i'm sure are already if they're not already relatively set in stone for when it's safe to do so again, I'd say they're easily going to be set in stone in the not so distant future. The NHL definitely wants to have a footprint footprint in China. Uh, and I'm right there with you again, Robbie, as long as the penguins have Crosby and Malkin, they are going to be one of the biggest drawing teams in the league, which means if a European game is on the docket, I would definitely imagine that the penguins would go over there and maybe play a, a regular season series or a regular, a big special fancy regular season contest over in Europe as well, which I think would be interesting because yeah, absolutely. Uh, I don't, I'm trying to remember it may, I don't know how much of a, how much uh, involvement the NHL has previously had in Europe for season or even regular season games, but it's definitely not something that I can rack my memory with and think of, of you know, the NHL regularly doing stuff in Europe. But I'd definitely be down for watching uh, a European contest between well, the Penguins and whoever else. The Penguins in 2000, 2008, 2009, they opened with the Senators in Stockholm. Um, okay. And then before, I mean, even maybe up until – 2019 before like the months before covid i mean every season before that they had had at least a pair of games in different european countries mostly in your scandinavia or um like your sweden's and your switzerland and the i think they played one out uh in prague or something like that so um i'll even go further on a limb with talking about staying on this train of thought that one within the next five or ten years we don't we get an outdoor game in 
uh, Europe between two NHL teams. Oh, that would um, be interesting. And I, again, the working relationship between like the KHL and the NHL is, I mean, I mean you never know how it's going to work out. Um, especially with, I mean, Russia being Russia, maybe we see an all-star game between, uh, NHL all-stars and KHL all-stars, uh, in like a Moscow or a neutral location, um, something like that. Um, but I think that obviously they're going to re, re, um, resume games, uh, in Europe, uh, here once the pandemic is more behind us. And I'm, I mean, China, we, I mean, the writing's on the wall there, but I think that in the right situation in a Sweden or a um, Finland or anywhere that has the climate to do it, we could see a winter classic type game called the European classic where maybe you send four, four NHL teams over two in Sweden and two in, let's say Switzerland, um, a similar situation to what we saw in, um, Lake Tahoe last year, not necessarily in a big arena or a big stadium, but maybe they uh, do it in the base of the Alps where they can find um, some space or they do it in, this is just me spitballing, but in front of the Eiffel Tower in Paris, um, somewhere that um, outside where it's a more scenic type thing. And I think that you're even going to see more of those scenic type games uh, in the United States as well. Another Lake Tahoe game in um maybe like the Rocky Mountain National Park or um, the Cascade with Seattle now uh, being being in the league. Uh, somewhere more scenic where you can set up the stands and it doesn't have to be, I mean, the National Mall in D.C. was always uh, tossed around as ideas. So stuff like that in Europe, I think we're going to see within the next five to ten years. Um, uh, just because I mean, the market's there, especially in your Scandinavian countries, they're hockey mad to begin with. Everybody thinks Europe, they think soccer. For a lot of those countries, hockey is the top sport. So um, I think that's something to keep an eye on. Um, I, I mean, I think it's a very interesting um, uh, concept. And maybe at some point we get a little really, really crazy and we have a, um, a, a, a hockey game on a aircraft liner deck like they have basketball games and stuff. Um um, I think, and again, this is something we can talk about more at length in another podcast. That there's plenty of avenues for the Penguin or the the NHL to really branch out and kind of have some fun with these outdoor games. Yeah, that'll be certainly some fun discussions in for future episodes. And like we said, if 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 plans aren't already made, just pushed back because of COVID. Absolutely, I think the NHL the NHL would want to expand its global audience, its global reach, much like the NBA has done in recent years as well. It'll be interesting to watch over the coming seasons to see how exactly the NHL will manage to grow its global footprint. But that will wrap it up for this episode of the Pennsburg podcast. Uh, for Robbie Noggle, I have been Garrett Behanna. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Pennsburg podcast, and we will catch you all right back here next week.